Hi, her. Uh, what not? Not uh, how it's called? Um, Heard. Exactly. Yes. Heard. Hey, Heard. Adam. Good to speak to you again. Looking forward to this to this conversation. It was a fun one last time. Yeah, this one is maybe even better because uh, the most important question, of course, is what was your first synthesizer? Ooh, that's a really nice one. It my first synthesizer was a successor to the Yamaha DX7. Um, and I always get mixed up with the model number. It's the SY100 or the YS100 or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. But it's basically, um, I got started with that and MIDI and the Amiga um, mm -hmm. as my first way of making music. And I was creating all these sequences on the Amiga and running all my MIDI cables through my bedroom okay. at home. Um, and and recording it all on cassette. <laughs> okay. I so wasn't I... really never really been a synth player because I'm a guitar player. Mm -hmm. But what I was doing was dialing dialing in sounds and then like sequencing them with a the sequencer and and learning how how synthesis works. Um, okay. Which, I didn't understand anything back in the day, but now it's a little bit better. <laughs> so you were a huge. Uh... Jean-Michel Jarre fan, for instance? I've always been a huge Jean-Michel Jarre fan. Yeah. I mean, okay. all this time, like he's, he's, he's continued making beautiful stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah. uh, he also constructed his own synthesizers, right? So as a, yeah. As, yep. yeah. I, know, I know someone who used to work with him. Yeah. Yep. And um, so uh, the question has been, what was your first MOOC, I think is pronounced correctly, or MOOC? How, how My first MOOC. Yeah. yeah, it's not next to me right here. I, I, when I moved from Belgium to the US, it's one of my like few items that I shipped over. It it, it is actually the slim fatty. Like Mo Moog has like known for the little fatty, but the slim fatty is is the same sort of bass centric uh, monophonic synthesizer, but without the keyboard because mm -hmm. I'm, like I was interested in playing it with other ways and not specifically. Uh, piano keys and I could just have this module sit on my desk and mm -hmm. and hook it up to to various weird contraptions and experiment with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Can you run it for 10 seconds or is it uh uh it's not hooked up. I mean I could hook it up but it will take me like half an hour to get the sound oh, okay. I mean I can have make it sound now but to have it come to you okay. I would have to like route it through a bunch of things. <laughs> okay. It'll be interesting. And you said the Moog was the company who invited, uh, uh, invented uh, synthesizers, right? But one, one of so Bob Moog was one of the um, innovators that started synthesis um, and popularized it by attaching a piano keyboard to a synthesizer, okay. so that people that were not necessarily interested in programming it or what what is called patching it. Mm -hmm. um, could just step up to it and and play on the keyboard. So, oh yeah, this already makes sense to me. And then um, turned it into like that one of one of the synthesizers that became one of the most iconic synthesizers in the world, like the Mini Moog Model D, which is like an evolution of what Bob was researching of how can you package what is absolutely necessary in uh, like this analog synthesis in a portable package back in the day, which is <laughs> big for nowadays standards, but it was really small for, for mm -hmm. the 70s. Um, and the Minimog is still, like Model D is still being sought after and 
Uh, Moog has put it back in production a while ago, um, and mm-hmm. people are still still buying it because it's it's it it's got this design where it's simple enough for someone to be able to start understanding synthesis mm-hmm. and complex enough for the sounds to be diverse enough so you can get to so many different places with it um and so it's very rewarding you don't you don't have to put in that much effort to understand how it works mm-hmm. and then you can basically explore explore a whole world of synthesis when Moog was invented or what when the first was what created this is interesting i'm really bad with dates but like in the 60s 60s okay so, yeah so okay yeah somewhere around there um and 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 we what bands played uh, or used Moog in the so? Which bands did not use Moog? Um, okay. I mean, it's like Thriller, like all, all the big songs, you know, like the whole disco era. Oh, um, okay. Like, like everything that has like a really strong synthesizer bass line or a synthesizer melody. Uh-huh. Um, most, of, most of the hits you know have uh-huh. a Moog synthesizer in uh-huh. there from that period of time. Uh, it, what about Kraftwerk? You know Kraftwerk? Well, yeah, Kraftwerk use the Model D. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So um, I took a look at the uh, at the website, and it looks really interesting, beautiful. Some uh, this is an interesting design, you know, of Moog. So um, mm-hmm. and and also you know the hardware looks um, interesting. Is um, old and new at the same time. So it's mm-hmm. uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, we really try very hard to respect our legacy. Um, mm-hmm. Like to, to, to respect the designs that have stood the test of time, but then also to innovate. So how it's, it, it's a wide chasm to span um, so many decades, but we try to push forward every single time we release a new product. I think now it's easier, right? Because uh, now people really like, you know, the old stuff. So the old look. I think uh, 10 years ago was um, maybe a little bit harder because everyone wanted, you know, to have like uh, uh, the super modern, you know, look and feel and right now i think people appreciate knobs you know real knobs oh, yeah 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 for sure. and, but uh, 10 yeah. years ago is not that or five years ago even you know there was everything has to be touched and um yeah i think like you were right like around 10 years ago and it has remained since then um because people mm-hmm. have started to appreciate and also the analog sound like a, a whole like section of our product catalog is only analog synthesizers where there mm-hmm. is nothing digital in the sound path and it has that warmth and organic nature to it, um, which, mm-hmm. which which feels good if you're like surrounded by digital stuff all day, yeah. every day. Mm-hmm. So, um, what well, um, last time you were a, a hoodie, and mm-hmm. uh, there was a logo on it. So, was it like a, I wanted to ask you the last time, but there was no time. Was it like you know heavy metal band or something? It looked like you know. It must have been Heilung, uh-huh. um, because I'm a really big fan of Heilung, and my wife is too. Um, it's a Scandinavian band, mm-hmm. and they they go back to the beginning of music, to the first written recordings of lyrics and notes and harmonies, and then interpret them how they would be nowadays with okay. instruments that are now available. And then basically their live shows are rituals that are also informed by historical um like historical facts like how people the vikings um around those days would be performing or um having these rituals around the music 
and yeah, we really like going to these shows. They're they're always Heilung is, is, yes. is the name of Heilung. Yeah. Okay, so a German name even mm -hmm. <laughs> almost. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Healing, and there's right? there's a whole bunch of German passages in their songs. Also, they mm -hmm. have like also a mixture of music and spoken word, and sometimes like they, they there's a whole narr narrated passage together with like rhythmical elements, and many of them are actually in German. Okay, mm -hmm. so now what I also did. I uh, checked out the Builder or BLD, BLD and Rife. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I took thanks. a look at the source code because I, I wanted to see, you know, <laughs> what you actually did. Okay. And what I was surprised is the amount of JavaDoc you actually spend time to write, and uh, everything is well documented. Mm -hmm. And uh, you spend huge amount of time working on it, right? Or oh, yeah. you are fast typer? No, this is a lot of work. Yeah. Yep. But this was yep. actually not your actual job, right? You did a sign no. just for fun, yeah. more yes. or less. Yeah, but a lot of Rife has evolved over 20 years of time. Um, but so... you migrated. What I saw is was Rife 2 already. So, yeah, but yep. okay. Yep. Yeah, I firmly believe in like when when you... So obviously you've got unit testing, you've got functional testing, but I feel mm -hmm. once you document an API, mm -hmm. you actually... It's, it's like you have to explain something to someone. And mm -hmm. it gives you a whole other point of view on what yes. you've just created. Yes. If if it's hard to explain, something's wrong. So that what, that's what mm -hmm. that's what I like about writing Java docs because if they don't make sense, then maybe like you have to take another look at mm -hmm. like how the API is constructed. Absolutely. So um, for me, less is Java doc and more like uh, the uh, I call it system tests, like black box tests. Yeah. So if you test from outside, you are also forced to use your own API. Yes. and think what you did. And the difference is, because I, I thought, why I'm writing a much less JavaDoc than you did? But mm -hmm. the difference is you created a new framework. Right. And what I'm doing usually, right, I'm, I'm building more or less boring applications on top of a framework. Mm -hmm. So if you, if um, this is, uh, I, I always, you know, um, work with the same structure. Uh, I, I actually stolen it, boundary control entity. It mm -hmm. was the... Um, the, maybe the oldest pattern is before okay. UML. So, and the idea is that you structure your 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 project with packages with business names. So, yeah. um, and every package has the same structure: boundary control entity. Yeah, I've, boundary... I've seen that. There's like another framework that was using that Java framework. Was it called? I don't remember the name. Um, it yeah. was everywhere. This was this yeah. agile modeling and the robustness right. patterns, and um, and I even had a chat with the creator of the entire thing. It was invented by Ericsson um, mm -hmm. in the 70s or 80s. And um, there's a also known icons where you can, we can just use everywhere. Nice. And, um, but um, so I have always the same, the same structure. So what happens is um, everything is self-descriptive. -descript so there is no way, uh, I, I think it's just hard to write, you know, reasonable Java doc, because if you see the boundary, you know, okay, you know, a uh, uh, customer is created or, or we are customer is found, so there is not a lot, you know. Right. I only document stuff if something unusual happens. But in your case, I thought, okay, this is different because mm -hmm. they were your thoughts and you have somehow justify why you did something, you know, because it's a very new, Rife is not like anything else, not right. comparable. So, um, and, and Builder is the same, right? So, mm -hmm. uh-huh. Yep. And like, it's, it's also, it goes, it's sort of for me, the first stage of writing the user guide Mm -hmm. um, if I don't write the Java docs, then mm -hmm. it's going to be really hard to write the user guide because then when I'm writing the user guide, then I'm hitting all of these questions. Like, mm -hmm. how do I explain this? Does this make sense? Is it short enough? Like, so yeah, 
Yeah. And uh, so what interests me, so there was a Rive 1. Mm-hmm. And then you decided to write Rive 2. And um, yeah. I took a look at the code. You are, you're using modern stuff. So you're using mm-hmm. uh, text blocks. I saw, so it is actually, yeah. yeah. So um, how Lambda's was the migration? Like all of it. Yeah. Was it hard? Or, or what, what was, you know, the hardest thing you, you had to face? Because uh, I've, it is actually, hmm. I also migrated some projects. And for me, it was more or less fun. And was, the reason yeah. was because um, what I migrated usually is from ancient J2E stuff to modern microprofile in Jakarta. And this was right. mostly fun because mm-hmm. Jakarta microprofile became more powerful. So I just deleted my own proprietary stuff and replaced it with standards. This was the most migration projects. Yes. But in your case, it was your own framework, mm-hmm. which was based on JDK 1.2, I suppose. Oh, even before that, I started in JDK 1.1 and then... Mm-hmm. I started pulling in a few things later, but I still have to preserve like backwards compatibility for most things. Okay. Um, yeah, when I started working on that, it was sort of several things happened. Like I hadn't written Java in a while because I was like writing macOS and iOS apps and focusing on synthesizer DSP and like mm-hmm. optimizing C and C++ code, um, working in Xcode or working just like in the terminal and the mm-hmm. VI. First thing, I was like, oh, my God, this is so comfortable. And mm-hmm. I, I, I remembered that Java and IntelliJ was so comfortable. But there's one thing about remembering it and then experiencing it again. It's like, oh, my God, like my, my IDE understands me again. Yeah. I, can, I, can, I can just stay in the flow and, <laughs> and code. And anytime I want to use any of the smart completions, they're actually helpful. It's not like, here are all the tags that match on text. And then like like 99% of them will not work, but maybe 1% will work. Mm-hmm. Um, like it is actually typed and it's actually usable, which is such a productivity improvement. So that was, obviously everyone knows that in Java, but that was like me basically coming back home and saying like, oof, it's nice and cozy at home. Like I had forgotten how good it was. Yeah, interesting um, because I had a chat with uh, Swift and Xcode developers, and and uh, and and they were really excited about the IDEs. And I was like, hey, "This is nice." And I also tried, you know, to build something in Swift and no Swift comparison. UI. Yeah, and, and it was I, I managed to do something, but it was like I constantly had, you know, the the uh, the feeling that I do something wrong because yes. there was a, it was hard. It was like it worked. But I thought maybe I used to know a, a, a wrong view because lots of views I had no idea what they are actually right. doing. So okay, yeah. it works, but yeah. Uh, views okay. and the view the view modifiers in Swift UI are just this giant grab bag of here's 300 view modifiers that may maybe work on the view that you're using. And like okay. I have no idea which view modifier actually works. And then one of the this is like my pet peeve with Swift UI. I've just been doing four months of Swift UI, so I'm okay. like right in the middle of it. It's like my pet peeve is now the or so not only don't don't you know which view modifier works on which view class or struct, mm-hmm. the order is also important. So okay. if you mess up the order, then the behavior is not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. But but it's not the case for all of them. It's just the case for some of them. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have to basically have this giant collection of examples. Mm-hmm. That, you know, okay, if I want to do this, let me look at that snippet of code and I'm just going to copy that little part. And mm-hmm. if I want to do that, I'm going to copy from there. And that's the only way. Um, because okay. even if you go through the source code, the source code doesn't have a 
clear collection of what applies to which basically their headers is not mm -hmm. source code, but um, they're all written in extensions. So it's like, I don't know which, which class this actually will work with. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, no Swift. I, 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 it's miles away from what you can get in terms of productivity and this comfort. This was also my impression. So uh, good that you are con confirming that because it's, yes. yeah, yeah. Still, Swift is a cool language. Like I like, I actually like the syntax. Yeah, um, it's 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 pretty concise but readable. Like mm -hmm. usually, it's difficult to find that tipping point where mm -hmm. making it really concise, and then you're like, I can't remember what I just wrote. Like mm -hmm. I, I like I like the balance that Swift has struck there. Um, but in terms of IDE support, it's yeah, it just doesn't justify it. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, and then migrating the code was so surprisingly easy. Um, for several reasons. First of all, again, IntelliJ IDE, they have all these intelligent migration tools where you're mm -hmm. like, hey, I'm detecting this thing that you did. You can do it better this way. And it's like, okay, automatically convert. <laughs> and it's like, yep, it's automatically converted. And now I'll tweak it a little bit. And it's like, okay, how can I make this better? So like the hard part is already done for you. Um, and and then like being able to really lean into lambdas um, I, I just love lambdas mm -hmm. and being able to have them typed properly typed and being able to actually create sort of micro DSLs with them. Um, I, I, I love doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and it used to be that you had like, I already went that route with Rive one where you have these anonymous classes and you could sort of like when you have the anonymous inner classes that you instantiate locally, you could sort of get there, but it was like a lot of boilerplate code. Um, but being able to do that, just with the lambdas and the function classes, I just like it's so awesome to work with. I loved it. It was it was really exciting to to actually do this. What's really surprising Java as well is how good Java is for command line tooling. Yep. And um, so um, maybe I don't know whether you know, but what you can do in Java, you can do Java without Java C and mm -hmm. invoke the main method. Right? You can say yep. Java. And app dot Java, and it compiles behind the scenes yeah. and runs the Java code. So this is surprising. That's the first surprise. Yeah, that's but how we started with build. Actually, that's like oh, when okay. I when, okay. When, you, when, of course, yep. you, are, you are the yep. builder, so, so you mm -hmm. you have to know it. So, but yep. the second thing is, if you would like to parse something in Java, right? So it is mm -hmm. amazing. You can say files read string. You have the string. So it's one liner. Mm -hmm. Then you can yep. say string dot lines, and you have the lines of the string. Yep. And then it's already a stream, so you can map it to yep. uh, to uppercase and filter, and you are done. I mean, th this is this is like crazy. So I would it say, is. no, forget uh, Z shell or Bash or whatever. You can have a one liner, and and you are done. Yep. And I do it all the time. So more and more, and um, and uh, I have um, even I replace some shell scripts because what you can do is actually you can yep. you can put it to the path, you know, in the path variable. Mm -hmm. It's there. You can just execute the thing. And for me, it's easier. You can debug the actual thing. You know, I, a Z shell is really hard to debug, if, if even possible. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. So, what you're saying here is exactly why I started build, because okay. I was I was messing obviously been messing around with make for forever, and then C make, which is an even more frustrating experience, but it's somehow like it's popular, mm -hmm. and then there's been scones, and then there's been. Maven, which is, I liked Ant, but it was XML. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was like, when I started again with like, Java, it's like, okay, guess I'll jump on the Gradle bandwagon because mm -hmm. that's what everyone, all the cool kids are doing. It was like, how is it possible to be so hard, to mm -hmm. be so difficult? 
I like what you said. The main thing for me was like, why can't they just debug my build script? Like mm-hmm. I'm already writing in Java. Mm-hmm. Why would I want to write it in something else? Because I have access to all of the Java capabilities if I would be able to write my build script in this. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that's why I started build. I was like, you can just do a file.java and execute it and it does what I wanted. And it's like, okay, maybe I'll just write my build build steps in a Java file mm-hmm. and just job, compile the things and okay, this is cool. And it's like, like how can I make this into something reusable that like my my pe- people in my team can use and how can I make it so that we can actually do dependency management and all of that stuff. Um, and then I went away from that .java approach for the simple reason that I want you to be able to modularize your build script yeah. so that you could create classes that abstract certain pieces of functionality, but also pull in your own code if you wanted to. Um, and that was that is not what uh, the like the .java approach is set up for. Mm-hmm. It is it's supposed to be self-contained. Yeah. Um, and so what I then then did, which is what Gradle also does, like you, you have you have this um, this bootstrapper that sort of sets up the, the class path and the environment and all of the things, right? And f- and from there onwards, it is full on Java, like calling the Java compiler from inside Java to to recompile if there's changes detected, and then you just write your build code in in a Java file, and it's 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 so convenient, like no. There, there, there is no context switching. You have, like you said, access to to all of the Java power. Like, oh, I want to do a little bit of text manipulation, and I want to do this thing, like where I replace this by that, and then I like, and any of the tools you already know, the APIs you already know in Java are just there, and your IDE helps you. You can just autocomplete. You can debug. You can you can set breakpoints. You can you can set conditional breakpoints in your build script. Mm-hmm. This is really cool. What um, so this is a completely different philosophy. So um, I didn't use Gradle at all, and uh, because uh, in my world, uh, um, boring business applications, Maven is just great. Mm-hmm. So because uh, I have n- almost no dependencies, right. actually no dependencies. If I'm using Corcus, this is like you know my uh, server. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything is we have just the Corcus dependencies. If I use Back then, with application servers, there were no dependencies at all, just right. the Java E API. Mm-hmm. So all my build scripts were identical, basically, were like 50 lines of code, and I just did Maven package, and I was done. Yep. So I never got the idea why someone would like to, to use Gradle. Mm-hmm. And I knew, I know why, because of Android, right? Because of yeah. Android, this Gradle was able to have all you know, the different uh, tests for the different devices, and Maven would be not suitable. So Gradle was a programming tool, Mm-hmm. And Maven uh, was just a declarative build tool, which was perfect for me. Right. But with Builder, what's interesting, what you described now, is, it didn't occur to me, it, it goes one step further. What we could even do with Builder, we can make Builder part of the application. Yep. So actually, uh, I don't know whether it was meant this way, but the idea I got right now, I could actually use Builder as you know the entry point Mm-hmm. Then write and and ship Builder with my app as an app. That's what we do. That's how we deploy our apps now. Ah, yeah. okay. This okay. <laughs> so there, I thought this is something revolutionary. You know, I, I will yeah. tell you. But if you are doing this, okay, this is almost like I, I spend the time in in the cloud with infrastructure as code, but yeah. this is like you know Builder's code or something like this, right? Yes. This is like yeah. Yeah, and it's it's so convenient. And there's like one key piece like that a lot of people 
started talking to me about when I did this, like, what about your dependencies? Like, what about pulling in all of your jar files? And I was like, how often does that change? Like, mm-hmm. how often do you actually change dependencies? Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much risk involved when you change versions that mm-hmm. that is a conscious act. Like, you, mm-hmm. I hope I hope that you're not building applications where you automatically upgrade all your dependency versions because then, like, you're always chasing problems. So... This is a very infrequent operation, it, like pulling down dependencies if you have them. Mm-hmm. So in, in build, it is actually structured that way, where it can pull out Maven structured dependencies for you if you want to. Mm-hmm. And there's a command to do that. You can automate it if you want to. And in that case, it is only when you make changes. It's only when there is a change to your dependency graph that it will actually do that work. So in the majority of the time, it's just a no-op. Like the dependencies are just there, stored in your class path with your project, available to the IDE, available to any other tool that would want to use it. And there's no need to have this like separate repository of the whole internet that you cache on your computer, like what, what, what happens with Gradle and sometimes with Maven. It's only just your set of dependencies. And then... If you decide to upgrade to different versions, you can use build to assist you with that, or you can do it manually if you want. And then build can, if you want to, purge out old versions that are not part of your dependency tree anymore. But it's always something that you are aware of. It's mm-hmm. not every time you make your project, it's going to do all that dependency stuff and you need to be connected to the internet. And if you're not, then you need to like do something special. And with Gradle, like you have all these demons that are running to speed it up, but then some demons might be on an old version and you have to shut them down. And so, yeah, all, all of that is just very straightforward and empirical. Like, okay, well, I'm using the jars that are with my, with my project. If I want to change, I'll change them and use the tool to easily fetch them and figure out the relationships, but mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah, for most of the project, I don't have the, any dependencies. Java twenty one. Sometimes mm-hmm. I need them. For instance, right, so if I'm running CLI with AWS SDK, so I mm-hmm. need AWS SDK. So there's one single dependency, and anything else is Java twenty one. Right. So um, another question. So I, I, I checked out the builder, and mm-hmm. I wanted to build the builder. Mm-hmm. Is it necessary to build that? Because you, all the audio supplying is the builder wrapper, I think, or BLD wrapper, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you don't have to build... Chicken and egg problem. So how to build a builder? It actually builds itself, but it has to have the first wrapper, which mm-hmm. like, it's, it's a very small wrapper around getting everything set up. It's basically class path stuff and, mm-hmm. and, make, and making sure that like the, the core jar is being downloaded. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my problem when I started it. <laughs> it <was> yeah, like, <laughs> this is what I thought. Like, so as I look at that and try to build it. I got some errors, but I it, I started the BLD script. Yeah, I just tried to make you know the listeners curious, so they they will try mm-hmm. by themselves. So the BLD mm-hmm. script and it pulled the dependencies, but then failed because something couldn't be found. But um, um, hmm. I think you tested always with IntelliJ, and I tested in no hardcore terminal. So no, 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 I always test with the terminal, actually. Okay. And Eric, who, who's going to be on your podcast in a couple of weeks, right? Eric, mm-hmm. Eric Tuva, um, he usually uses IntelliJ. I'm, I, I use it most of the time for coding, but I like using build on the command line. So it'd be interesting to see, to see what your problem was. Like maybe we can like, look at it after the, after the podcast. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I just did it before the podcast. So um, if I start BLD, then... How did you install it? How did you install build? A git clone. 
uh, BLD, just clone it, and I just run the BLD. Nothing. I did nothing. You know, I was curious mm. what happens. But there is not nowhere is explained what to do actually, right? So there is no. Well, there there is a whole there's a whole manual though. Yeah, yeah, but it's a full documentation. So this is a quick start, and it's okay if it's a quick start. How to build it, right? So I didn't look at the full documentation because you said uh, on the on the on the on the manual, this is the quick start. So okay, then let's mm-hmm. start quick. And the manual, I didn't you know look at the full manual. I was just curious what happens. But I will try it. So give it a yeah. shot. So, so um, in it, both cases, my feedback to Rive Two and BLD. Mm-hmm. So the source code looks great, and everything is uh, absolutely uh, what I really like. You know, promotion of no dependencies. I think you you stolen it from me because <laughs> I, I, I this was on my 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 uh, marketing line for 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 years, and now you have it right. But um, yeah, but there should be a simple how to call it quick starter we start with you know in order to build drive do this and in order to build builder do this do that so it's not necessary to build build in order to use it as a build tool mm-hmm. um i don't know if you've seen if you've seen the wiki of build itself on github um not yet it, but uh, just my feedback is you you have you know on, on the first what what i do in an open source project i expect in the in the first you know in the first uh, got it yeah in the first paragraph to see, okay, in order to use it, do this. So this would be, this is my expectation. And in both cases, it looks like a quick starter, but it's just an explanation of the philosophy. Yeah. And then you have to be more explicit, click on the link to to do something. This is my feedback. That's really good feedback. Like it's definitely written uh, for people that use it and not for contributors, uh, Mm -hmm. not for people that start from the source code. So thanks. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also took a look at the Rive too. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's also was not unexpected because with your um, conversation with you the last time, you say it's just a war, but it actually uh, ships with Jetty, I think. So you can just run it as a full stack, right? So because, Yes, you can. Yep. Yeah, which yep. is cool because I thought, yep. you know, I have to build it as a war. And then I thought, okay, how to get a war? Because I will need a builder. But it's okay, okay, I can also use a Jetty. And uh, then you have a main method. So you can actually boot drive. Yep. With a main method, which will start Jetty and then Rive, which is yes, or Tomcat. Like that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about. I hate myself not mm-hmm. understanding how something start, starts up. I want to be able to reason about where the entry point is, mm-hmm. and then be able to have control over everything that happens up mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. like my application is running. And mm-hmm. that is why I think it's really important to make that main method explicit and to design the API in such a way that there's almost no boilerplate code from there onwards, but that you understand every single step to get your application mm-hmm. up and running. Mm-hmm. Do you know JWeb Server? I've heard of it. Yeah, this was uh, it was initiated by some microsystems, and it is now part of the JDK. It mm-hmm. is not meant to be in production, but it supports routes. It supports uh, this is a basic HTTP server. So okay. I just wondered whether it is possible to run Rive on top of JWeb Server, you know, because then you have no dependencies. This would be pretty That's cool. So great could, idea. Yeah, yeah. You could actually, um, maybe it is not powerful enough, but um, you could actually start Rive, you know, without Jetty. This is like immediately, you know, two makes less or something like that. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Definitely look into that. It's a great mm-hmm. idea. Thank you, JWeb Server. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the last time we stopped also the discussion with about templates. Mm-hmm. And um, what I understood is your idea about templates is that uh, this is just a uh, a how to call it a document with holes, right? This is how you see templates: a document with holes and with reusable parts. Yes. 
So uh, what it so what it means is that uh, there is no control logic, right? No for no, no if nothing. Okay, nothing so at all. Purist. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So what you will like is string templates, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. I think it's really <laughs> cool. Yeah, I like string templates. I also like. Um, but they are not um, not available yet, right? As preview, not not yet. But there is, um, you know, the guy who ran, who wrote Antler. Mm -hmm. um, he also has a template engine, which I think is called String Template. Also, like it's something okay. with string in there. Um, it's pretty cool too. Um, but I, but they become uh, part of Java twenty two yep. twenty three or whatever. Yep. And they will be really powerful, and you will like them, right? This is this what I'm looking for. Uh, I have not delved deeper than the surface, and it looked cool. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, I'm excited to dig into that for sure. What's What's interesting with the string templates is there will be a um, string template processor, like in mm -hmm. JavaScript, and yeah. um, the the holes can be typed, so you can create your own almost like DSLs, and uh, there right. or they have already examples how how to create you know, or they have examples. The idea would be to have uh, SQL queries. Nice. Which are typed, so I think it will also fit perfectly. So, yep. what it actually means, you know, Rife or or with Builder could become, you know, this no dependencies full stack on Java twenty three, right? Yep, yep. It's a good point. I'll, I'll, I had a plan to continue looking into the string templates for sure. Um, one of the things I wasn't sure they had was the actual reusable blocks. I, I remember seeing the holes. Mm -hmm. but not the blocks that you can get back out of your template and manipulate outside of. Okay. In your then code. I still don't know. So, um, uh, but uh, I think these, this was also what I wanted to mention the last time, but we have absolutely no time. <laughs> um, okay. So um, we, we covered a little bit the builder. So how to, what is the hello world builder to the listeners? So um, I just explained what was my experience, but let's say, Someone would like, you know, to to mm -hmm. create a a Java application with yep. a main method, hello world inside, and use Builder mm -hmm. to build the entire stack. So, so the, the these are the steps. Like you typically install it as a standalone tool, as a tool mm -hmm. that is like like you have Make or like you have Maven or Gradle. Like mm -hmm. you have your tool in your path, right? Uh, how um, to how to install the thing? So, so there's several ways. Mm -hmm. Either you can download the jar file from mm -hmm. GitHub and mm -hmm. do Java jar and it's an executable jar. You can just launch it that way. Right? This is the from releases, right? You go to yeah. builder, yeah. Uh, release yeah. the jar, yeah. and then you yeah. can put it to the path and launch yep. it with Java minus jar. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, you can also use SDK man to install it. You can use homebrew on macOS to install it. You can even call it through JBang if you don't want to download anything. You can mm -hmm. just put the JBang command line in there. Um, and so once, once you have the main tool, it's basically the project creation tool. It's sort of like you're outside of your project. And mm -hmm. you can create projects with different templates. Um, you type in build or whatever, Java jar, the build jar, and then create. And it's going to prompt you with whatever mm -hmm. is necessary, like the package name, uh, the main class, like all of that stuff. And then based on the template that you use, like you could either be set up for a library or for a standalone application or for a Rive 2 project if you're building with Rive 2. Um, it will create a bunch of starting points, which could mm -hmm. be a main class with a main method. Um, from there onwards, you go into the folder that is created for your project and you have build is present again in your local directory. 
but it is sort of, it's the inside version of build. It's a build that actually uses your project and that uses your build class with the Java code that actually has the build logic from your project. And from there, you can then do build, compile, run, and your application runs. Mm -hmm. What you should also put exactly this, you know, in the in not in the GitHub, rather in the builder page that you know, a homebrew, for instance, mm -hmm. a homebrew reference SDK and JBank, because uh, it is also not. I couldn't find it at the first glance. You know, I immediately I said, okay, it's not there. Then I switched to GitHub. So cool. Then I will clone it and see what happens. Right. This was my path right. to interesting. To yeah, but uh, homebrew is great, and so now I got it because what I what I what I did there was a builder file. Which is not mm -hmm. executable, so I modified the file a bit, mm -hmm. and then run the builder, and then got the menu exactly what it described. Right. So there was yeah. like uh, create arrive to create lib. I remember create yeah. app. There was the entire menu, and then yep. I stopped. Okay, we have yep. to talk whether it is used uh, uh, <laughs> as it was intended to. Yep. What I was also pleasantly surprised that you actually uh, supporting the Maven cargo so mm -hmm. uh, style, so you can download uh, Maven repositories yep. from the repository central. Yep. which uh, I didn't expect. I think, okay, maybe you're building your own thing, you know, no dependency, mm -hmm. but this is actually great. So it means this is absolutely compati compatible with uh, Maven uh, dependencies. It, it completely is, and you can even publish to a Maven repo. So build itself and Rife itself is actually published using build, mm -hmm. going through the whole Maven flow. It, si it signs the jars. It does the whole PGP stuff. Um, it creates all the artifacts of the versioning, and you can publish with it. Um, Which is really so hard. What I did, I uh, I had to do this with Maven, and it was not simple. So I, I would <laughs> no. say this is this was uh, this was uh, crazy. So uh, I did it for several library. Uh, I did it in yeah, the past, it, and it is not easy. Mm -hmm. It's pretty hardcore to figure that one out. Um, mm -hmm. Yep, but yeah, build supports it too. Try to make it as easy as possible. And now, this is the one thing that I like about using build myself is. It's just like with your Java tool. If you're writing your build script and you don't know what to do, you just use your IDE. Mm -hmm. And you have the Java doc that pops up. You have the method completions. And everything is right there. So like your build scripts document themselves. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's comfortable. I, I, is it then, I think maybe... Um, more inviting to, for contribution, right? Because you're using the build anyway. Mm -hmm. So if you're using the, the methods and something is missing, it's easier to uh, to extend build, right? It, it is really easy. And you can actually, the basic way of extending it is just putting more other things in your class path because mm -hmm. it's just Java. And you can you, you can instantiate any, any class you want and add more behavior to your build script itself. And the way that exposes itself to your command line, there's a very simple API that just says, hey, this is, a, this is now a command that I want to use from the, command, from the command line. This method has to be exposed to the outside world. But whatever is inside that method could be any Java code. There's like just no restrictions on it. There's essentially no API. You're using reflection a lot in the build? No, 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 there's no reflection. So what it means is it could be also compiled with GraalVM. It, it it actually it compiles with GraalVM and Rive two also compiles with with GraalVM. It's incredible. So one question because you didn't use Java for years, right? Yes. How how long? Ten years or something? <laughs> uh, probably nine. Yeah. How it is possible that you are so on top of the new stuff right now? I mean, you you had you spent I don't know day and night learning because you know about GraalVM, you know about JBank, which is pretty new. Mm. You, you, this is like, uh, or or maybe it is easier if you skipped, you know, all the baggage and legacy and just say, okay, now it's a fresh start and uh, take a look what's... I think it's the latter. 
Um, but also I've kept in touch with a lot of, like a lot of people in the Java community are good friends of mine. Oh, okay. Um, that, that, like, that I know from conferences from before. Um, we still follow each other on Twitter. We still like send messages or in various social media or forums or groups. And even though I'm not like actively have not like, uh, no, I am again, but I had not been actively coding with Java. I did like to see the projects of, of my friends appear and like, Hey, like I'm the Jbang and like, Oh, this is really cool. J releaser. Like, like, like these, these things, like I see them appear and I see, I saw Kotlin appear and I saw like, it's like all of this stuff. It's like, okay, this is, this is cool. Like I see where this is going. And then I got really excited and I started paying attention again when there was this new release cycle for Java versions, mm-hmm. because we sort of, got stuck with Java for a long time where like it, it felt like there was no momentum, nothing was happening. And then having this more aggressive release cycle where every year, like we go to a new version and there's experimental features and it felt so exciting to me. It's like, okay, well now Java is going where I always hoped it would go because it's so powerful. It just sort of got stuck in this enterprise prison mm-hmm. where like, it's enterprise, so you can't change anything. And let's forbid we do anything that is not the same, right? Um, I'm so, so happy that like the whole community has stepped out of that and is embracing like, using all the strengths of Java because it's so incredible. And it's just like very steadily march onwards. Like we're doing cool stuff. Let's do even more cool stuff. Yeah, I'm about it. Yeah, but uh, the the enterprise cycle, I think it was really important because this is why Java become so so commercially mm-hmm. popular, right? And, oh, yeah. uh, and, and successful. Yeah. Because all the banks, all the insurance companies use Java because it was so slow for adoption mm-hmm. and so backward compatible. I would say with mm-hmm. Java will faster from the beginning, it will be no, never as popular in the enterprise. And like, I agree. All the, and all the large conferences were sponsored by the large companies. So I would say this mm-hmm. is like, this was, uh, I think, important at the beginning. But totally um, agree. but uh, then it is good that it changed right now because mm-hmm. now uh, the, the Oracle is on fire and what they are doing is this incredible. Um, maybe it will interest you. You heard about Tornado VM. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and Project Babylon as well, maybe. Mm-hmm. So what this means is uh, what what they are researching right now is that you know um, you can run your Java program annotated and it will run on GPUs, for instance. Yep. And this yep. is the next interesting, you know, step because then we get a native uh, Java GPU integration. I'm so excited about that. Like I've been, it, it, it's sort of a tangent, but it's it's similar um, for the iOS synthesizers that I've been working on. Um, mm-hmm. We we had very high requirements in terms of graphical performance. Mm-hmm. Um, in one of the apps we built is is a virtual modular synthesizer that mm-hmm. is giant, but mm-hmm. we wanted to be able to very quickly in high fidelity, scale up and down all the way, like all the way out and all the way in mm-hmm. without, with it feeling very completely seamless, no lag mm-hmm. and without any interruption in the audio signal, because we're generating audio at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right? So you, you can't use CPU. As soon as you start using CPU for these very intensive graphical operations, you step onto the audio CPU that's being used and you have a higher likelihood of there being an interruption there. And that Mm -hmm. is really not what you want. Mm -hmm. So 
what we started looking at then and what we've used as the foundation for almost all of our apps is we completely adopted Apple's Metal um, mm-hmm. GPU pipeline mm-hmm. where they they have this very structured approach to, to to scheduling work on pipelines and being able to like to to have this handover that is completely lockless but completely reliable getting uh, data and buffers into a GPU and then perform operations on there and the next step that I've been wanting to look at and we prototyped it but never got further than that is to actually run the audio code in the GPU as uh-huh. as as workers um there was still a little bit too much latency for that when we looked into it. But I know one company is doing that now for audio. So it's it must have become viable. Um, and I'm really excited to start looking into that because the GPUs are more like almost more powerful than the CPUs nowadays. So. Yes. Yeah, and um also Perfect Storm. So in, in Java there is a project Panama, you're also aware of it, right? So this I just is- heard the name, I don't know what it does. What it does is uh, it replaces. This is uh, interesting for you. Is uh, the GNI these uh, replaces? Mm-hmm. This is the uh, GNI uh, in Java, more or less. So there's a really nice API cool. to 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 talk to a native code. Okay. And um, and also the vector API is for for the GPUs. And um, nice. yeah, this is and this is now the perfect storm, I would say. Yeah. One question as well, because you mentioned Kotlin. <laughs> so for yep. me, I have a Java twenty one, mm-hmm. and I'm more than happy. And I see less and less reasons to use languages like Kotlin, Scala, and Groovy, and whatever. What's your take on it? I totally agree with you. Um, okay, again, I, I, so I, you are boring, you know, conversation. But I'm, usually there's I'm lots sorry. of fights. But I'm sorry, yeah, <laughs> like I already liked Java before. Like even even with, with without all the improvements that have happened, like in 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 the last ten years. I already liked it before. I was already hesitant to use Groovy back then or, mm-hmm. or, or, or the other scripting languages. I was hesitant and I never really got into it because it felt risky. And mm-hmm. um, I was more concerned about like the maintainability and stability of my code and making sure that things would still compile 10 years down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's why I never jumped on like full bore onto another GVM language. Mm-hmm. Um, Kotlin looked really interesting when Java was not advancing as much. Mm-hmm. But now, today, I mean, the fiction points are so little yeah. and the gains are so marginal mm-hmm. that I have a hard time justifying actually making a switch. Yeah. This- but you should talk to Eric Tovan about it because he is a huge Kotlin fan and he's been using Kotlin for many years up until... He like worked, started working with me on builds, um, and then he started using Java again. So he's got a really good perspective, I think, um, because he he didn't really want to use Java anymore yeah. before. Um, so that would be a good conversation point when you talk to him. Yeah, I had already a conversation with Anton uh, from uh, mm-hmm. from actually JetBrains. He's a um, um, Kotlin ev- ev- <laughs> evangel- <laughs> evangelist, and we had a really deep discussion. And there is one. Killer feature of Kotlin, but interestingly, no one mentioned it so far. There's, you know, the the native uh, capabilities of Kotlin, the Kotlin multi-platform. I think is that the proper right. name, where yes. you can you can because what I what I think is boring if you run on JVM another language, right? Because right. I'm saying, okay, why 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 on JVM? But Kotlin mm-hmm. is different. What they did, they have a f- an, an 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 alternative stack. 
mm-hmm. without JVM, and you can com- cross compile Kotlin almost to different platforms. Okay, right. this is this is interesting, right? So you can run the same code on on Android, um, iOS, yep, and maybe in web. But yep. um, I never saw it in the wild in the projects. But I think okay, this is what I see. It could be interesting idea. So if you already have skills in Kotlin, you mm-hmm. can write iOS apps. So yep. um, for instance, so right? little tidbit. Um, Eric has been doing a lot of work in the last couple of months to actually allow builds to be used for Kotlin monthly platform. So we're mm-hmm. now able to compile and completely build with dependencies Kotlin multi-platform projects with build as a build tool. Wow. Okay. Not bad. So I would say <laughs> um, what I what, what has really surprised me, you know, the complete different take because uh, Gradle and Maven somehow similar, but build mm-hmm. is different, right? This is yeah. uh, completely different, and the idea is: is this inverted Maven almost right? You could because it's not like you're running on top of Maven. The build could become, you know, your app. So it, it is could, like yeah. inversion of control almost. <laughs> and um, and was my, my you know my observation that um, that if you have a pattern and you just you know do exactly opposite. You get another pattern which is also working and working mm-hmm. well with different constraints, but um, yeah, but this is also the observation. So, um, and um, what I also like is the design of the entire thing. So I think you are is also your your you did it the design of the build builder page and Rife too. Yes, yeah, it's incredible. So um, I mean, you you had a normal job at Mork. And I, I still I, have, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, like, and 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 we're releasing Leisure, a new project created, on Friday. <laughs> you created two two frameworks, right, in your Leisure. Yeah, yeah. I still don't know. I mean, how we, it... I mean, we use it internally also. Like we, yeah, yeah. Like my my main my main driving force for this was, and it's usually it's friction. Like I knew I could develop an e-commerce platform for Moog's products mm-hmm. if I would be using Java. Because mm-hmm. I know how productive Java is. Mm-hmm. My problem was no one else on my team knew Java. So mm-hmm. I knew that Rife had a particular structure that I could very easily explain to them and that would make them productive and write code that they could all work on together without having to learn the whole GEE stack and, and mm-hmm. all the complexity of mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So that's why I went down that route because it's like, okay, when I, if I do this and I document the few pieces that they need to know, I'm very confident that my team can achieve like mm-hmm. success with this. Mm-hmm. And then while we were on this path, I s- saw how messy Gradle was. We tried it out and I saw how, how everyone was struggling with it. And it's like, there must be a better way. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the, the way I always look at this is, it takes a lot of effort at a one particular time. It's like, okay, am I going really going to create a build tool? Like, am I going to be that crazy to start this off? But the time investment invested to do it in a way that, to me, feels way more pragmatic and way more productive, I've more than made up for it. Like, because my whole team understands it, they're completely self-sufficient, they, they don't have to deal with any of the idiosyncrasies of, of JE or, or, or Gradle. Like they just treat it as, hey, I'm just coding a new, like a new thing in an awesome IDE and look at how productive I am. And they're just having a good time. Um, they had no experience with Java, your colleagues? No, nothing. 
what I did before? So what is programmers or? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like C, C plus plus, Swift, Objective C, C, and, uh, and Python. What, what is their reaction to Java? They loved it. They they were like, oh my god, like I had no idea how comfortable this was. Um, and and have and IntelliJ, they'd never actually used an IDE as powerful as IntelliJ. So what it means is actually with your stack build and drive and IntelliJ. It, it could be the next no big thing, you know. This is the revival of Java, maybe because if maybe. this is this is the interesting part, you know. What is the reaction of a new developer, and uh, what is the onboarding experience, mm-hmm. and you know, time to hello to hello world. There's also yeah. the you know, and, and if this is working, then so what what they had to do, they had to install Java 21 first, then you know, put builder in 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 a class path. Mm-hmm. That's basically was right. It's if you use Homebrew, then you don't even have to do that. You just install it through Homebrew. Yeah, right? this is what I yeah. also do. I would try yeah. it with Homebrew. Okay, yeah. this is incredible. And and what was what was they complain? So there was something what they didn't like at Java. Oh, it's always something. Is there something common thing where they say, okay, this is crazy in Java or something they didn't like? Or <sighs> let me think about that. There must have been something. Um, yeah, I think the main like when I remember a big friction point was but it was actually not java related is more like http related mm-hmm. um they were not used to thinking in restful mm-hmm. http designs mm-hmm. they were not used to thinking about like structuring your urls that they make sense in mm-hmm. a restful approach mm-hmm. um and i remember that that was something that i had to sort of flip their mm-hmm. brain around also um even though i'm a really big fan of the template engine that i designed there was like Two people on the team that really struggled with it because it's it's kind of a mind flip because mm-hmm. um, it's like some of them had used PHP before mm-hmm. um, and they were like oh this is template engine is like PHP but it's again the complete opposite of it so they they were really struggling with understanding with their preconceived notions of templates having a control flow and basically the content being mixed in between the control flow, which is what PHP and JSP is like, they were trying to approach it that way. Um, and for that, I actually, ha- I actually had to sit down with them and walk them through it. And okay. th- but then I wrote the documentation that adapted the documentation afterwards. So it, it taught me a lot. <laughs> yeah, always. So um, this is what I also appreciate, you know, to explain something to someone. Mm-hmm. So um, recently, I tried to explain, you know, static methods to someone, and uh, mm-hmm. not easy. No. Uh, I, I, I tried to so it's very easy, and then it's okay. And, and I got a question: when I should use static method and uh, and an instance method? And I said, this is a really good question. Try to explain with you no, know, with uh, of course state and classes and objects. But if you don't know the concepts, you cannot explain. You know, you 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 use instance method if you need the state and classes. And the next question mm-hmm. is, you know, when you need the state? <laughs> this is yep. Yep. this is this is interesting. So, but um, I, I, coming back to the to the templates. So imagine hello world. So I have a string hello world, and mm-hmm. I would like to use your template. So what is exactly to do? Let's let's imagine you're building an HTML page, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, of course. And mm-hmm. and and the hello world is like an H1 tag inside an mm-hmm. HTML. What was the hole, right? So I would like to right. add a hole. So what what you would have is the HTML page mm-hmm. with the H1 tags, and in between those H1 tags, mm-hmm. you would put in a Rife template tag, mm-hmm. and that will give it an identifier that becomes the hole. Mm-hmm. Now one of the Design approaches there is 
there's two two versions of the tags. There's a short form and there's an invisible form. The invisible form actually uses the comments of the actual language that you are annotating. So in 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 the case of HTML now, it will be an HTML comment and the mm-hmm. tag will be invisible when you preview it in a browser. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can give each hole default content. So the way I would do what you just asked for, I would basically have an, like that rife, it would be a value tag because this is where you put a value in it. You give it the ID, hello, and then in between the start and the end of the tag, you would write, I don't know, placeholder or whatever. And then you open it up in your browser and you just see an H1 with placeholder. It's like, oh, this looks nice. Like mm-hmm. it, it, you can just preview it with any existing tool, use any like HTML editor, CSS editor, whatever editor. Mm-hmm. And whenever it goes through the Rive template engine, it will compile it to bytecode, save it as a class file, and then plug in those holes where it knows that it has to replace things that you have values for. Mm-hmm. And if you compile it to bytecode, is the entire template a string and this is like a placeholder or you're understanding the, the tags? Your it, par- it, I understand the tags and the structure. So this is more like XML uh, parser. It's it's more like an XML parser, but with different different scopes. Okay. Yep. And how to put, you know, the hello world to the engine? So there's like a context, you say context put and you add... Yeah, con- context print. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have a loop, let's say I would like to have a table. Then you, so you have the value where you want the table to accumulate. Basically, what you would do is you would style the template with the table in one row, mm-hmm. and the row would become a piece of reusable content, okay. again, with holes in there. And from, from within Java, you would say, get me the, like, the reusable content that's a row and put it into where I want to accumulate rows. And you can just keep adding to that. And in Java, you can use any logic you want. Like it could be a loop or it could be a stream or it could be whatever that is driving that bidirectional communication. Like it gets the, inform- the, the content from the template and it plugs it back into the holes. So now your logic is 100% in Java. You can abstract it out in classes. You can have it being driven by some other logic that you want to be able to accumulate things. Um, so you, you get rid of that problem where you have a control loop inside your template. And now you need to figure out what are the conditions? Like, how do I get all these different states that I would need to have? You don't have to get that in your template. Like, this could all stay in your business logic or your layout logic. So what it means that the template engine is like a mediator between the actual template and Java, right? So get, And uh, the template is driving. So the template says, okay, I need some content, and it calls Java, right? It's not the other no, way. Java, no, Java calls the template. The te- template doesn't do anything. It's Look at it like a puzzle. It's just a, it's just a yes. pe- pieces of stuff, and Java is picking up the pieces and saying, okay, you're going there and you're going there and you're going there. So is this about uh, the, the whole uh, does request the content or the content has to be put to the context? The content has to be put into the whole. Okay, then this is very similar to string templates, right? Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or formatted in string. So, so the, the, yeah. the string formatted is a, like very basic version of your template, right? You know, the formatted method. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's similar. So what it means... List, li 
uh, or uh, OL ordered list and LIs mm -hmm. means um, there is a specific tag, so it no knows the repetition. So there's a reusable part is the LI, right? And the N no, you would you would be writing what is called a block tag around the the the. Uh, the li part because mm -hmm. that is the block that you want to repeat it is agnostic of language so mm -hmm. here's a cool part um imagine you have a web page mm -hmm. that you want to display a purchase confirmation to someone mm -hmm. that has a particular logic to it like mm -hmm. it is hey this is this is your customer name th these are the items you've purchased right mm -hmm. your structure is usually very similar to what you display, for instance, on a web page or in an email that you send out, mm -hmm. right? The structure is the same, but your formatting or content is different. Mm -hmm. So with Rive's template engine, you write the exact same piece of logic. Like you just give it another template that has the same IDs for the placeholders and the value and the value, the values and the pieces of content that you reuse. But whatever is around it, whatever is inside the reusable pieces of logic or outside that forms your template, that can be any type of string. So I'm actually using it a lot to do JSON like web service calls. Because mm -hmm. I just I have you have these usually when you like interact with any type of AP like REST JSON API, you have like a blueprint. Like this this is what your call looks like to to talk to us, right? Mm -hmm. I just put that into a template. And then wherever the the, re, the changeable pieces of information are, I, there I put like a value ID, yes, and um, and I just send that to the servers. Like no need to do like object serialization or build an object graph. That yeah, it's like, a textbook, right? like a textbook. It's like text, a textbook. Yeah. Textbook with formatted. But yeah. um, what I still didn't understood, you said a block tag. So the block tag has to listen or or not listen, accept lists. No, a block tag basically just said says I'm a piece of content that yeah. you can get out of here. Yeah. That's all it needs to do. And then a value tag is I'm a hole in which you can stuff stuff. And if you want to build out a list, then you put several times the block inside the hole and you just create your list items. So, exactly. And the several times how you do it without control logic in the template because either You do it in Java. You do in Java. You basically say get the blog and get the block content and put it in this value or oh. add it to this value, right? So it means you have the, the, the so you have a value slot and you can put into value slot multiple multiple yep. blocks. Uh, okay. Yep. So I know I got you. Yep. Yep. So what what I assumed is that there is a like a specific there is a value, you know, value slot and like block slot and the block mm -hmm. slot um accepts lists. Mm -hmm. And 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 uh, there is some some repetition logic which creates the other ones. Okay. No. Yeah. So there's really absolutely no logic in the templates. Okay. So you have basically you have only value slots, right? Value holes. Value holes. Yes. And and block content that you can get out of it. Out of it. Why you would like to have to get something out of it? Because that is how you that is how you accumulate that list. You can say, hey, this is what the block looks like for a list item. Mm -hmm. And in Java, you say that block has to go into that value hole and add another one ah. to it and add another one to it, right? This only so, works because you are you understand the structure. So what you get in Java is not like a string. I get in Java the structure of the 
of the template, right? You get identifiers for each piece of the structure that you can work with. Yeah. Okay. And that's why, like, it, it's a different approach, and like, like it, it takes a little bit of like used getting used to. Um, and that's like I call it a bi-directional template engine mm-hmm. because usually template engines are only one-directional. Mm-hmm. Like, you put stuff in there, and then things up like execute, right? Yeah. Um, while here it, it it is goes in both directions, so that your logic can really do everything you want in Java, mm-hmm. and your text and your template is just just content, just pieces of stuff, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter if it understands the logic or not. Mm-hmm. I have to 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 take a look another look at the you know bi bidirectional. Uh, nature of that thing because I can imagine how string template is working formatted so that everything is fine there's the holes is uh, like a holes what we already have mm-hmm. and um, you have the IDs and you can refer in Java to the IDs right and what it means I still don't know you know the list I have to take a look because um, <laughs> the list if the ID is given so there is only one slot if I will populate it mm-hmm. I will just override it so you there has append, to be a way. You can, you can append to it. You can either like replace the content or add to existing content to accumulate. Okay, so so you have so you have replace and add, right? So yes, you have to, yes, okay. essentially, yeah. Okay, so this this is okay. So what it means for me is I can pull the reusable part of the template to Java and then mm-hmm. decide whether I would like to delete it, override it, or append it, right? Yep. Okay. Then now I got you. So this is like your templates are more or less alive you 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 can create it's almost like a dom it's yes yeah it's pretty similar this is like a dom so uh, n- now i think i got the thing so you, you you have a dom right so you can you can define uh the entire template in in a dom in a browser mm-hmm. in html so you mm-hmm. did this in html that the dom structure is created f- uh, for you then you are mm-hmm. now in javascript so you can decide you can for instance say um um Query selector. I'm interested in the in the um, in the audit list, and you get yep. it back. Then you can remove things, you can add yep. things, and and this is the bidirectional thing. So exactly. But what you could even do then, I don't know whether it's possible with Rive two. You could create the entire template in Java. You can, yeah, if you want to. So th- there will be no you know no string templates. You could you could create like a DOM, you know, the entire mm-hmm. with Java, and then okay. Yep. So you what you created is actually. Um, Parts of JSF, in a way, yeah. A way. Uh, you know, Ice Faces. You remember that? I do. Yeah. So what they did, they started with a browser, mm-hmm. and they were uh, they were capable of uh, of um, of of uh, to understand, you know, the entire uh, HTML and DOM structure, and they were very fast. And then JSF happened. They said, "Okay, cool." So we moved the DOM part, you know, to the to the to the server and to the browser. And if they did some, you know, a transformation in the browser, it gets synced mm-hmm. with the backend, and this was the entire right. trick. Yeah, and so I think the, the the but you know the building the template engine was not easy, right? So you you have to understand the structure. You have you should be able to. I, I mean, this is it was a lot of work. Um, it's gone through quite a few revisions, and for Rive two, like I actually rewrote it because I wanted to use Antler for the parsing. I had like a custom parser before, mm-hmm. and I wanted to actually do it with Antler and 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 write the actual like parser structure out, be able to properly get error reporting out of it. Um, so yeah, that was actually probably one of the biggest pieces of work of doing Rive 2. So what you created is basically a DOM, DOM tree where you can, you know, and... Ex- ex- except that 
I guess I guess it's a dumb tree with a lot of like free text that can be anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Like very free form. Um, and then compiled is the other part. Like compiled, if you use if you use the text files as the templates, mm-hmm. compiled to bytecode, and you can ship it with your app, and it runs extremely fast because it's just basically yeah, sure, yeah, sure. By, it's Java bytecode. Yeah. Uh, are you aware of uh, custom elements, web components, and templates? I've slots. heard of web components, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's web components and they have the, the notion of slots. So you can yeah. predefine, you know, and, and you can refer to the slots and replace mm-hmm. them. Also very similar. So um, it is actually really interesting technology you created, right? So <laughs> it is, uh, um, really like it. So I think we covered a lot. And in one part of time, if there's Rife 3 on the horizon, we have to talk again because, you know, okay. you have a really a fresh... <laughs> Uh, a fresh perspective on on Java because you know if, if you restart right now and you do you know things because for me I was okay I'm somehow happy with Maven I will never create an, my own build tool mm-hmm. but uh, it's really to see someone like you, you know so okay I have the real need and, and for him for, for me it is really interesting that that you are using your framework for non Java programmers and they like it so this yes. is uh, the this is the, the the best thing can happen right. I, I think so too. So thank you for recognizing that. Yeah. <laughs> thank you a lot. Where people can find you, your company, and uh, Moog Synthesizer if they like to buy one, you know? Yeah, MoogMusic.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also, like my own company is called Uwin. It's U-W-Y-N.com, mm-hmm. where it's got links to all my various weird projects and ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, Rife and Build just being a couple yeah. of them. <laughs> and on GitHub, if you search for Rife2 and BLD, you will find both. And yep. uh, yeah, and yep. um, yeah, perfect. Thank you a lot. It was really thanks so much, Adam. Super this interesting. Awesome. I'm glad. Well, thank you for having me on twice in a row. <laughs>